everyone, this is John. Before we get to today's episode, let me remind you about our summer conference registration. Our summer youth conferences are a vital aspect of what we do here at RYM. So visit rym.org conferences to check out all the locations, the dates, the speakers, and be sure to sign up your students, your church, to check us out this summer. Here's the rest of our conversation with Brian and Hunter. Hey everybody, welcome back to Parenting Today. Uh, Kurt Cooper, as always, is with me, and as he said, we're making history on this podcast, having two more guests of four total people on this podcast. Um, We did pretty well, guys. I know I I think I fumbled and interrupted a few times, but um, with four of us here, I thought we handled it really well. So Hunter and Brian, thanks again for being with us, uh, taking the time to come on this podcast, and again, producing the book, Gender, uh, a conversation guide for parents and pastors. Uh, that's through the Good Book Company. And as I said, you can go to the Good Book Company. Is it .com or .org? I think it's .com. Okay. And you can order these in bundles. Um, again, this is a very accessible book, very helpful um, tool. And so as we concluded on Tuesday, I wanted to pick up uh, really discussing feelings. Uh, that You have a section in your book um, uh, that deals with just feelings being such a focus for the culture and um, not really caring about our biology. It's our feelings that are important. And, you know, you cite Jeremiah seventeen nine that the heart is deceitful above all else and, and desperately sick. Who can understand it and how our feelings constantly uh, betray us. And, and I, I thought you, you gave a helpful example. And let, let me just read this from page 40 of your booklet. It says, there are individuals who struggle with something called bodily integrity disorder. Some of these people feel that an arm or leg doesn't belong in their body. Should we encourage them to remove the arm or leg based on this feeling? No. A loving response will help the person see that the limb is a natural part of who they are, and they should work to align their feelings with their biology. The same holds true for those who struggle with an eating disorder. You don't tell the 95-pound 16-year-old, your feelings are right, you are too fat. They need to see that their biology is not the problem. And we can help them work through their feelings, which are out of concert with their body. And so, again, I think that's a helpful point to make, an important point to make, again, to quote or to, to reference Nancy Piercy's book, Love Thy Body. She, she deals with just how feelings are the primary um, source to appeal to in this culture. And so I guess helping us think through this a little bit more as, as we can say and use the examples that you gave from your book and, and see the logic in that. But those in the LGBTQ community might not and might push back against that. Uh, what are some objections you think they may have? And just, again, help us work through how we can better converse with, with those who don't think like we do. Well, one of the things that, that's changed recently in culture is, is where we, people act like if you have not had a specific experience, you can't speak to that situation. Mm-hmm. This is a part of of the abortion conversation. If you're not a woman, you can't speak to that, which, you know, today raises the question, well, what's a woman? <laughs> mm. um, when we don't agree on that. But people will often say when you, when you try to, to mention that, well, you should try to align your feelings of, of who you think you are, what gender you think you are, with the, the bio- biological reality of who you are. Well, you, you can't speak to that because you're, you know, you're, you're not a, a transgender person. You don't struggle with gender dysphoria. And I think we have to understand that that's how they, they feel and they think. But we've got to be prepared to, to come alongside um, and help reason with them and not seem like they're, they're just a talking point. And, and I, it's helpful for us to understand 
that the the gender I, uh, ideology of today has has some problems. It's not internally consistent. It's got some contradictions. The the whole fact that someone who who likely is not a Christian and and maybe holds to a view that that they're just biology, like all we are is you know biology, um, that there's no soul, there's no mind, there's no spirit. That that a person like that could say I am a woman, even though my body is biologically male. Well, who's the I? What, what is this part of you that's not biological, that's separate from your biology? So that doesn't actually make sense in their worldview. Now, from a, a Christian worldview, from a biblical worldview, we can make sense of the fact that there is an immaterial self. There is a soul, a mind that we have, and we are a body also. We're a, we're a mind-body unity. And so our goal from a Christian worldview should be to, to, to help people flourish the way God has designed them to be. And that requires a, an alignment there. But when we talk about feelings also, I think we have to just take a step back and say that, in my opinion at least, this is one of the most crucial aspects of Christian maturity to get right. Misunderstanding feelings and authority and its relationship to Scripture is behind, you know, the 45-year-old man who says, well, I just, I, I don't feel like I love my wife anymore, and I've got a peace about divorcing her. Well, you know, your feelings have informed you incorrectly on that circumstance in both ways. One, love is not just simply a feeling from a biblical perspective, and two, you're, you're not going to have a God-given peace about something God in His Word excludes and prohibits. So this, this has ramifications for, for almost every aspect of life. How do we make decisions? What job do I take? You know, how do I respond to someone? But the fact is, is since the Enlightenment and, and kind of the time of the Great Awakenings, there has been this infusion into Christianity um, and culture where experience has become key where it's the lens we see things through. It's an authority in its own right, and sometimes, practically speaking, it, it's put over it above Scripture. And we can kind of understand why this would be, I think, because there, in some ways, are, are nothing we know more deeply than our feelings. Like, those are the things I know most intimately. But if we start from a theological, biblical perspective as Christians, we should, we should affirm that every part of us has been affected by sin. Our ability to know things, our, our responses when we're sinned against— um, even our feelings, as, as you mentioned that Jeremiah passage, and there are many others, have been corrupted by sin. And so I, I should have a little distrust for myself and the innate ways I see things, and I should check those against the infallible Word of God. That, that's so important. But you asked how parents should respond um, if, if they get pushback on some of the examples uh, from bodily integrity disorder, which is where someone might say, well, this arm is not a part of me. Well, we wouldn't say that the good thing for that person is to cut the arm off. And the same way with the, the, the teenager who maybe struggles with anorexia. But the fact of the matter is, is I know of no other circumstance, and I'm not saying there isn't one, but, but I don't know of one, where we say your mind and your body are out of sync with each other. We need to take drastic action against your body. Because what's happening today is we have kids that are four, five, and ten, and they're being given hormones that will chemically castrate them, that may stunt their growth, that may have untold health effects that we do not know about in the name of aligning their body with how they feel, as opposed to the other way around. I think Hunter said before, you know, when he was five, he wanted to be a Ninja Turtle. And there are kids who say they want to be a rabbit, but we don't put them in a cage and feed them uh, a, a carrot. Well, it's our job as parents to lead our children, not let our children lead us. And, and that's actually, and this comes back to where we started, it's for good. God's design for having our, our feelings and our body aligned with His Word and how we act is for our good. That's the, the, one of the beauties of God's design, is it benefits those who follow it, even if they don't 
believe in him. Now, that, that's not a substitute righteousness on its own, but nonetheless, it's actually good for everyone. And I want to add to that, too. We, we touch on this in the book, but the book is not just to say, hey, here's the, the questions you need to ask your kids and the conversations you need to have. It tries to give a framework, a paradigm in order to see this issue. But the way that I treat my wife tells my daughter a lot about femininity and what it means to be a woman. And the way that she sees me live and lead explains to her a lot about what it means to be a man. And so it's not just about what we say, but how we live, how to, and if one of the things that we're trying to do too, is help her understand her body is beautiful, that there's no shame with being a woman, that she's made in the image of God, that she's equally loved by God. I hold a complementarian worldview, but at, at the same time, I really want her to understand that although there's differences between males and females biologically and even within the way that they function within churches and homes they're equally loved they're equally valuable they're equally knit together in their mother's womb and so i think it's also important to to not just shepherd their feelings and help them understand their feelings which is a part of what it means to be a parent but also to show them uh the, the, to show them through your actions and how you lead in your home and in your churches so if you're a pastor and you're listening to this the way that you interact with your coworkers, the way that you interact with your spouse in front of students and children, the way that you, that all of that is a part of this conversation and message. Mm. I, I want to say that both of you, that was very articulately put. And according to the world, because you believe that you're a bigot. Um, and let's, uh, I, I say that, you know, mildly sarcastically, but also, you know, true in your book, you talk about persecution. In fact, I was just reading an article recently that um, it, when we're recording this, what's in the news right now is that uh, every leader in Virginia has got some problem and they need to resign of some way or another. But uh, there's an article written that said that the governor of Virginia, who uh, might resign because he used to uh, wear blackface in college, um, uh, that not only should he resign, but also that Karen Pence, the wife of the vice president, should resign. And the reason that she should resign is because she uh, works at a school that holds traditional views about homosexuality as immoral and holds to what Christianity has held for you know, thousands of years. And so I, I wonder if you guys could talk a little bit, um, as you do in the book, about preparing to be persecuted uh, for sticking to the Bible or, or, or trusting or trusting God's word and how we prepare our children for that, but also how you yourselves um, handle uh, those kind of labels that get thrown on you. Well, just to start this part of the conversation, I do think it's really important as we raise children to teach them the value that Scripture has in defining what love is, what persecution is, what bigotry is, all of these things. And so um, we talk about this in the book, but there, there's a challenge here because the challenge is that a lot of Christians want to show that they're loving by sitting under somebody else's definition of love that's not Scripture. Truth and love and Scripture, grace and truth, holding these things together um, does not mean that I affirm everything in your life. But to many people, in order to love them, you have to affirm everything about them. In that case, I'm a bigot and so are you because you don't affirm my view and I don't affirm your view. So why am I the only bigot in the room? 
And it's not about arguing with people. It's just about helping children understand that people mean different things when they say love. People mean different things when they say bigot. People mean different things when they mean accept, right? Like, I do love you. And and I do accept you, but I do not agree with your behavior. Uh, I do not affirm what you are doing. Me not affirming something that you're doing does not mean me fully rejecting you as a human made in the image of God. And so we have to be really clear about that, and we do have to really uh, make sure that we're we're understanding that God's word is where we find the definition and understanding of what it means to actually love somebody. And so I think that's important too with raising children. Well, I know I know I know that uh, Brian's going to jump in, but I just want to say you only have to be a parent for about a month to six months to understand the concept of love does not equal approval of behavior, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you know, that you only have to be a parent for a very brief amount of time before someone that you love deeply does something that you find completely unacceptable. So that's not, it's not a really crazy concept. Anyway, sorry, I stepped on you there, um, Brian, go ahead. No, I mean, you, you basically made my point for me. That's exactly it. But people are inconsistent on this, right? As we mentioned a minute ago, there are several other inconsistencies on in how people are viewing gender today. And, we should, as Christians, we should care about consistency. That sounds kind of stuffy and abstract, but inconsistency is the sign of a, a bad argument. Like there's there's some piece, if you're trying to put a puzzle together and you end up with a piece and it doesn't fit anywhere, like that piece is not a part of your puzzle. And so if you can't behave consistently in how you raise your children and talk about love and how you talk about love from the pulpit and how you love the neighbor that's different than you, you have a, a at least incomplete but possibly flawed version of love. And I think we can help people see that. And Hunter kind of quickly ran us through that a minute ago. Like if being a bigot means you disagree with me, well then by your own standard, how are you not a bigot? Now, I don't think you are one. I want to follow that up by saying, I don't think you are just because we disagree, but your standard, it it doesn't make sense of the interaction we're having. So maybe we should have a different standard in how Mm -hmm. we look at it. And it's really important here too, as we as we model for children, that w- what people think about us is not the most important thing about us. What God's word says about us is the most important thing about us. And so I do care uh, when when somebody says, "Hey, you're a bigot. You 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 spew hate. You don't love me. You don't care about me." That hurts me because I do. Like I do love them. I do care about them. But at the end of the day. For all of eternity, what God said about me and what God sees in me is what really matters, what God what, what God said to be true. So there is this sense where even with raising children, like when you're dealing with somebody and they, they think that your actions are out of hate and not love, you pray that you do the right actions and that the Lord will allow them one day to see that those actions were out of love. Yeah, and, and I can understand why people who disagree with us on gender think we are being unloving. They have, they have a different book of definitions, right? We're working from what God says these things are objectively defined as, and they're not. So I can understand that, but what I can't do is change the message. Because if I change the message, I've given them something that's not helpful at all, that just kind of furthers them in, on their path of, of condemnation and away from, from flourishing on God's design. But one thing that's really important for parents as you're talking about, how do we equip our, our kids um, or the kids in our ministries to, to face up to persecution they need to know that we know what's out there. I think a lot of times we have we have traditionally told kids, you know, what the truth is, and that's it, and not prepared them even to have a category for the idea that people will disagree with them, and that that disagreement uh, may be intense. And we need to do that. We need just 
to help solidify ourselves as the, the authorities we should be in their lives. They need to know that we know what's out there. But that also requires us to know what's out there. We can't stick our heads in the sand either. And I think far too often, even without regards to parenting, we have taken the approach of, of kind of sticking our heads in the sand or insulating ourselves as opposed to inoculating ourselves and our kids so we can send them out. We, you have to know what's out there. You have to be prepared for it or, or you're going to be blindsided. This often happens when kids go to college and, uh, you know, take a New Testament class from a secular university and hear that like, well, a lot of people don't think Paul wrote a lot of those letters. And, you know, there a lot of scholarship today, you know, thinks that the Bible isn't true and, and there are all these problems with the text. If you've never heard that before and you have this person who's a tenured professor and an authority telling it to you, that can really shake your faith. And the same holds true for conversations about gender and sexuality and every other thing in the Christian life. We must kind of, you know, inoculate our kids and not just insulate them and think it's going to work out. Because if, if the current stats on people leaving the faith are telling us anything, that approach is not working. Yeah, very well said by all of you. And really, you know, as we're talking about persecution and preparing our children to be persecuted, I mean, this conversation applies to the parents in, in this way, that, you know, as a parent, <laughs> when somebody hurts my child, there's an anger that's inside of me that I didn't realize existed and <laughs> that we have this, you know, just natural desire to protect our children. And so when we're having this conversation and, and Hunter, to your point of just trying to teach our, our children that what other people think of them is not the end all be all, that we as parents have to be prepared that, you know, our children are going to suffer and they're going to be hated by others. And, you know, the Lord is working on us and our hearts and our own idolatry through our children as uh, they're dealing with, you know, these difficulties in the culture. And so, yes, preparing them for this persecution, but also kind of a word to the parents and the pastors to pre prepare ourselves as we see our own children possibly getting bullied, getting, hate, getting hated, be being ostracized from certain communities because of their stance on this issue. Yeah, I, that is so important. What we don't want to do is give our kids kind of a, not in the, the official doctrinal positions we teach them, but in how we live and in how we shelter them, kind of a view that might lead them to think the soft prosperity gospel is true, where Christianity is about being comfortable and is about being safe. And it's not about have, it's not about standing for truth. It's not about suffering in, a, in even a redemptive sense. So the way we live there can model for them how they'll actually interpret Scripture. But one of the other things that's important is, I mean, we can go to the, the Beatitudes. I, I think of this passage in Matthew 5 when we talk about how we and our children will likely increasingly be treated if we stand on biblical truth. And Jesus says, Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil things about you falsely on account of me. It's not just, oh, you're blessed. He says, rejoice and be glad because your reward in heaven is great. And he goes on to say, you, you stand in a long line of people who have been persecuted for truth. Um, obviously, he's talking about the prophets there, but then this obviously becomes true of him, too. But there's a, there's a caveat and a, and a caution we have to, to take there. A lot of times when Christians have received persecution, when they have been called names, it's not been just because of their message. It's be, been because of the manner that they speak. The, the, the gospel, uh, biblical truth, is divisive enough, it's offensive enough to a culture that doesn't you know, interpret things in biblical values. We cannot add to that with our manner. We must have a manner that commends our message to people that um, it, it's just lamentable when we talk about the grace of God and we do it without grace in our conversation. So if we are going to, you know, find solace and comfort in the Beatitudes and being blessed when people persecute us, let's make sure it's because they're actually saying, 
um, things that are false about us and not the fact that we've been offensive in telling them about the grace of God. You know, Jesus never divides mercy and truth. You know, when he talks to the woman who's been caught in adultery, he does so, um, you know, he dismisses those Pharisees who catch her. Um, but he also tells her not to sin anymore. And over and over again, um, you see that Jesus speaks the truth to people, but he also does so in a, in a merciful way. And this is an issue where I just find it almost seems like it's impossible to do it um, uh, because we want to hold to the biblical truths about gender, right? But it's very hard to do that in a way that communicates mercy to those who are struggling in, in that regard. And I, I just wanted, I don't even know if there's a question there. Like I said, I don't ask good questions, but, um, but I, I just wanted to, I wanted you guys to talk about that for a second about how you coach your students, maybe to talk about things in a non to not sacrifice truth, but to, and to speak the truth, but to do so in love. Well, I think that we've talked a lot about it in this podcast, but to care about the the good and the well-being and human flourishing. And the reality is that, and it's very easily easy to access the, this information, but that a lot of people who have gender dysphoria also have high, high levels of suicide rates and depression and internal distress. And we are not closing our eyes to that. A lot of times... Uh, in that conversation that gets used and they say, well, the reason that this is happening is actually because of Christian thought and evangelical beliefs. Um, and what we don't want to do is we don't want to close our eyes. There are hurting people that we need to love and have empathy for. The difference is not that we're denying this, but saying the way that you find actual peace is in the truth of Jesus Christ and in what his word says. And so the reason that I'm saying these things, I hope you hear it, is because I really love you and I want what's best for you. And there's going to be two different roads that people are going to present for you. One road is discover who, who quote unquote, you are, go down that path. If that means surgery, if that just means dress, if that just means being non-binary, there's go down, just chase that down, chase that down. And eventually you're going to find happiness or contentment somewhere and unfortunately, there's bigoted people who don't agree with this. That's the other road is this, that, that, hey, the reason that I want to have this conversation with you is not because I'm disgusted by you and I want you out of my sight. The reason that I'm going to have this conversation with you is because I love you. And that thing that, that you feel is missing in your life, I believe is Jesus Christ. And I believe the way that you will find happiness and you'll find joy and you'll find purpose and you'll find understanding and clarity and all of these things that you're looking for is not in, in trying to run down a road of trying to identify or become a different gender, but understanding and embracing who Jesus has made you to be. Because when we're having these conversations, we believe that just like David says in the Psalms, that you are knit together in the mother's womb. We're talking to people who have been made by God in the image of God. And I want them to see that because when you see that, you, you can you can begin to actually have some peace about it. So we're not saying, hey, you're, you're quote unquote wrong to have these feelings. Many people are probably going to wrestle with some of this, all of this side of eternity. But we do want to be really clear that when we're we're not trying to win an argument, we're trying to help somebody see who they are in Christ. And and while not everyone thinks about it this way, rebellion is tiring. 
Uh, and so the the person who is not a Christian and is struggling with their gender identity, or maybe it's not even a struggle, maybe they've just accepted that I can define myself however I want to, that is not their biggest issue. Their gender identity is not the biggest issue. This is something we bring out in the book. It's, it's a book about gender. We've been having a conversation about gender, and we should. We should talk about that. But we must understand, it, it must be present in how we even present the issue, that a person's gender identity, their sexual orientation, is not the largest issue. Right? You're, you're not made pure and righteous because you, you happened to be uh, heterosexual, and that's how you identified, or, or you were cisgendered, or whatever term we want to use. Right? So this is just one issue. Everyone has a different issue. Everyone has a different um, uh, set of ways that their their feelings and their thoughts are fallen and need to be reordered by the transforming work of the Spirit. And so that should guide this conversation, and that should affect how I talk with the person, right? If, if I simply present the idea that, hey, if you actually align your self-conception and identity with your biology, you're good, I, I've given them a, a doorway to hell. I've given them a comfort in something that's not actually any better for them in an eternal sense. And so we have to have an eternal perspective, a gospel perspective on how we have these conversations. But the other way that love factors into this, and I think this is this is something similar to what Hunter was saying, is we were never meant to bear the weight of identifying ourselves and grounding our self-worth. When you think of the ways we're talked about as people in Scripture, everything that gives us value almost is derivative to us. It's based on something or someone else. So why are humans valuable? Well, well even kids can answer this. We're made in the image of God. So it's it's the fact that we're God's image that makes us valuable. Our, our worth rests on who God is. Well, that's doubly true for those who are in Christ. Why, why do I treat people um, well? Why, why do I have community now, I should say, in the body of Christ? Why, why am I a child of God? Well, I'm a child of God. I'm a part of his family. What, what gives me a second sense of identity as a, as a child of God, as a sinner who's been saved by grace, is what God did and who he is. And so I don't have to worry about identifying myself. I don't have to worry about campaigning for my worth based on man-made categories because God has told me I can have peace and rest in that. And yet when people cling to non-God-given sources of identity, they actually become weights that drag them down. They don't lift them up. And children can understand this. My daughter can tell you this. We use the New City Catechism. What is our only hope in life and death? That we are not our own, but we belong to God. That at the heart of the issue, that's simple. It's the first one in the New City Catechism. That simple idea is what we're trying to help people understand. And um, the, the, for lack of a better phrase, the other side or, or the other voice in the conversation is going to say, no, you belong to you. You figure out what you want. And I, I'm, I'm going to say this, and I don't, I don't mean it to be uh, like in any way disrespectful, but it's amazing to me that the narrative right now is follow your heart after a 50% divorce rate and lower back tattoos exist. Like it's just <laughs> following our hearts has not worked well. You know, we use that that passage out of Jeremiah, but like it's amazing to me that somebody that is 40 years old, 50 years old with a straight face can look at me and tell me to follow my heart. It's unbelievable because it's not working well. It doesn't work with love very well. It doesn't work with and I, I, I want to be careful there to because I'm walking on thin ice. But the point is that this idea of the human heart being deceitful, we know that it, we have a terrible track record 
as humanity with following our hearts. And so I think that that's, that's so important too. There's so much comfort in understanding. I belong with God in Psalm 23, that he's my shepherd, that he loves me, that he leads me, that he leads me through his word. And that when I have inner turmoil and distress and confusion, that he has given me a way in order to have clarity. So I think that's at the heart of the conversation. Yeah, once again, just so many good answers. I mean, there's so many complexities to this issue, so many questions that come up, and you both have given us very helpful uh, responses and ways to think about this. Again, going back to the authority of Scripture, as, as we're starting to close this down, I know we're not, not closing it just yet, but you know, I'm thinking about, I mean, again, the, the title of your book, Gender, A Conversation Guide for Parents and Pastors. For the for the parents and the pastors listening to this, uh, what are some helpful starting points? Uh, again, for, let's start with the parents, okay? As they listen to this and they're thinking, okay, there's so many issues, where do I begin? I mean, of course, we want to say your, your book for sure is something to pick up and to use as a guide. Um, but, but maybe just some pieces of advice for how parents should start this conversation, uh, what they should do, um, as well as pastors leading a congregation. What are some thoughts there? Well, yeah, definitely get the book, which always sounds self-serving when you say it, but we, we did write it to help people, uh, had specific faces in mind and, and just this, this cultural moment that we're in. So the book's definitely helpful. If you want a more kind of robust treatment of how to talk about and approach this in, uh, issue and concept of gender in society, Andrew Walker's book, The Transgender Debate, um, is a good one. Uh, the Talking Points series, uh, the, the transgender book, also published by Good Book, is helpful and short. Um, but let's not, if we only focus on the issues that pop up in society, we'll always be behind. And so starting with a catechism, New City would be great. Um, it, it's reinforcing all the concepts we're talking about. There are other great, you know, catechisms that obviously in the Reformed tradition, we would, we would, you know, have a handful of names that come to mind. If, if you believe in your heart and your soul that God is good and in control and that we're made in his image and that he loves us and he's redeeming all things, we can weather a lot of issues. Those are the foundational truths. Like, I hate to bring it back to things, you know, as boring as systematic theology, and not that kids or parents need to even have that term in mind, but simply realizing that culture is catechizing your kids, it's discipling your kids. You need to be intentional in doing that. There are a wealth of tools out there. Um, and it can be as simple as you, you pointing to leaves, like Hunter said, or trees and saying, God designed that, and God made you, and God cares about all of it. And then asking them later, what did God make? You don't need a formal catechism if you have a little bit of intentionality and thought to ask questions and be, you know, be redeeming the time and be intentional with the opportunities you have as you are going. I think of the Shema, right? You're in the car. That's a great opportunity. Um, as you're coming home, great opportunity. Sitting around the dinner table, great opportunity um, to be having spiritual conversations that reinforce the core truths of what Scripture says. And I would say to the pastor, declare God's word with conviction and clarity. And there is a trend right now, and we, we don't want to go too far down this, but there's a trend right now to try to play some sort of PR role in God's Word that was never intended for us to play. We are proclaimers of God's Word. We're not here to play PR and try to change things and make things more palatable for the world. You don't see that in Peter when he stands up at Pentecost. You don't see that with Paul. You don't see that with Jesus Christ himself. There were times when Jesus would say things and people would be upset. Pastors need to understand that we don't need to play PR for God's Word. We don't need to, to 
try to bait and switch people. We don't need to, we need to more than ever be clear and convictional about what God's word says, not just on gender. And I think that is something that, um, can be really distasteful is when you, when people feel like you're just targeting one thing. And so, you know, what is it, what is it communicating? Like, well, let's talk about marriage for a moment. A lot of pastors are afraid to talk about marriage and divorce because there's people in their seats that are, um, you know, that, that have experienced that. And so they don't talk about it. And then they talk about gender because on Sunday, there's very few people who are going to be offended. Right. And I think holistically preach scripture with conviction. Don't make it, uh, don't cherry pick what is, what is easy to talk about. And in some ways, gender is really difficult to talk about, but in our congregations, a lot of times it can be really easy to talk about because people aren't really going to disagree with you. Like, and so preach the whole counsel of scripture with clarity and conviction and don't ignore gender, but don't make gender the only thing that you ever talk about, uh, because it's not directly close to you. Yeah. Well said for sure. And those are, uh going back to the resources you, you referenced, I mean, very helpful. I mean, just thinking of the blessing that, that parents have uh, with, with so much literature now that's available, I mean, podcasts that are available to discuss this issue. Um, yeah, it's just, there, there's there's a lot out there for sure. And, and something too, just to plug that RYM has, has put together. Um, if people go to rym.org and you go to our resources tab, um, you'll see ministry tools and we have it ABC Guide to the Gender Revolution, and that was um, adapted from an article written by Joe Carter on the Gospel Coalition, and so it's now in booklet form. To just be familiar with some of the terms uh, in the LGBTQ community, I know, again, in, in your booklet, you discuss how important language is as we discuss these things. And so just as parents, educating ourselves on these and then also, you know, educating our children on some of the ways in which the culture is discussing these issues. So, again, those are just another resource I wanted to throw out there. Kurt, I know we're wrapping this up. Is there anything you want to add as we, we close this out? Or Hunter, uh, Brian, anything you guys want to want to add? Well, I just will say uh, before I'll let someone else have the last word, but I just want to say thanks to both of you for coming on here I'll remind people, the book is called Gender, A Conversation Guide for Parents and Pastors. Um, uh, I, I love it when we have authors on here. And this is, you know, I, I love talking about, um, I, I've just loved this conversation. I think it's been really helpful. It's been really helpful for me. So I really hope that it, I'm very confident it's going to be helpful uh, for the people who listen to this podcast. Um, so anyway, thank you guys for coming on. Yeah, I would just add as we close out, it's not too late for you to start talking about this. No matter what position you have in a church or family, it matters that you speak clearly where God has you and that you be faithful and that that encourage you that, look, this is complex, challenging times. Every Christian has had to deal with figuring out what it means to be faithful in the time that God has them. Just seek faithfulness. You're not going to know every term. I can't keep up with terms. Every time I go to a different meeting and talk about this, the terms are changing. There's disagreements. You're not going to know every rebuttal. You're not going to have every answer. But just be faithful and trust that that God will do what he's continued to do, that he's going to to expand his kingdom, that he is going to lead his people. And so have some grace with yourself and just seek faithfulness in this area. That's a that's a great final word for me too. I've I've appreciated talking with you all, and, and we really do hope this has been helpful. Not that we have all the answers, um, but our our goal has been to to help the church, help the local church, uh, and the church Catholic, 
and um, to think clearly. And so as much as we've been able to do that, then uh, this will be a, a success in our book. Yeah, a good word um, for sure. And again, just keeping this conversation ongoing, I think it's been helpful. Um, and so hopefully, if anything else, this will just encourage parents to, to start the conversation in the home. And like you said, to not feel like they have to have every answer um, before they enter into it. So Brian, Hunter, thank you again for writing the booklet. Uh, for It's, again, a, a resource for God's kingdom. will benefit a lot of people. Thank you for your time on this show. Um, everyone, uh, thank you for tuning in to Parenting today. We'll have another episode next Tuesday and Thursday, so be sure to check it out.